Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. Being able to communicate with your customers in the right way and at the right moment are how the best SaaS companies improve customer experience, decrease churn, and increase their revenue. My friends at Customerly have created an affordable solution to let you have full control of your customer service, automate your onboarding process, and create genuine and lasting relationships with your clients. Now, I already mentioned it's super affordable, but I was able to do even better for my listeners. If you go to customerly.io and use Founder Views, you'll get 20% off any plan of your choice. That's customerly.io. Use code FOUNDERVIEWS at checkout and get 20% off any plan. Make the move today. Trust me, you won't regret it. In this episode, I'm speaking with Josh Pigford, the CEO and founder of Bear Metrics. If you're in SaaS, you've definitely heard of Josh and Bear Metrics. Hundreds of SaaS and subscription businesses use Bear Metrics to properly display dashboards and metrics to give a real-time breakdown breakdown of how your company's performing. Uh, this is fundamental for every SaaS company, and Bear Metrics has definitely been the staple in that department for quite some time. Uh, recently, Josh caused some waves in the SaaS world when he revealed that he almost sold Bear Metrics for $5 million, uh, which was a big shock to a lot of people in SaaS, given how transparent and open Josh is with his business. So we're talking about that, why he went through the sales process, how the deal fell through, and what impact that had with his team when the news went public. Uh, we also talk about how Josh... Uh, grew his remote company to well over a hundred thousand in monthly recurring revenue, and what he's planning for the future. So I'm really glad I had jo- Josh on the podcast. This was a very insightful episode. I have no doubt you'll get a ton of value from it. So here it is. Here's my chat with Josh Pickford. All right, Josh. Thank you so much for joining me on the Founder Views podcast. Really excited for you to be here. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So you're the founder of Bear Metrics. Uh, I'd go out on a limb and say, you know, most people in SaaS know who you are or have heard of you. But uh, if you want to kick things off, for those who might not know, do you mind telling the audience a bit about yourself, uh, what Bear Metric does and who you help? Sure. So um, let's see about me. Founder of Bear Metrics, but I've been building stuff for the web for, I don't know, 20 years. Um, started Bear Metrics about... Six years ago, sort of a scratch mile niche, they did some um, you know, revenue analytics, you know, MRR, lifetime value, churn, things like that. Uh, so built the initial version of Bear Metrics, and then uh, it turned into a thing, and we've been kind of growing it since. Uh, um, but you know, Bear Metrics itself provides um, like revenue analytics and tools for growing the business. Awesome. Perfect. So uh, you built it six years ago. Were you always into uh, like the metric side of things? Like, was that your background or how did that even? No, not really. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where, so prior to my metrics, I had um, a survey company basically. So things like survey monkey kind of stuff. 
Um, or I guess now people use type form for everything. Um, so we were building something like that and I, you know, it's like, okay, well, I should probably know what our churn is or how much, you know, uh, monthly recurring revenue, that kind of thing. And, and six years ago, that stuff was really hard to get. You were either sort of manually doing that stuff, um, via spreadsheets, um, which is sort of ripe for screwing up. Uh, or you were building your own little internal tools, which was sort of a bad use of time. So I decided just to build something myself there. But I didn't, didn't have a background at all. I mean, like, you know, education-wise, I went to school for graphic design. So that's sort of my background. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, I do want to jump into sort of more about Barometrics and the company itself. But, you know, one thing I just want to get out of the way, you know, you really caused some waves in the SaaS community last month. Uh, you know, with your announcement that you almost sold bear metrics for 5 yeah. million. Um, you know, that's something I, again, just want to talk about, get out of the way, because I know you've been speaking about this like nonstop in the past month on Q and A's and all that. I might be tired of it by now, but I do have some questions uh, sure. about the failed acquisition, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, man. So, so, so me personally, like I was, I was very surprised and so, kind of shocked to hear the news that you almost sold bear metrics. And I think the reason I was surprised is because of how, transparent and open you are in general about your business so so to keep something like that under wraps for so long i feel like many passive uh, observers of your journey were kind of um not only blindsided or surprised by the fact something so big wasn't transparent um, if that makes sense at all um you know both without getting into too much detail uh, if you don't want to but you know to go through this entire process must have been on your mind for quite some time like like what was the trigger or did, like triggered your desire to want to sell the company you'd say? Well, so I guess it had not really been on my mind at all. Um, okay. I mean, if Barometrics itself is like the, the fact that we're transparent has meant that people have been reaching out, like asking to buy Barometrics for, you know, at least monthly since I started the company. Um, so that wasn't anything particularly new. Um, I think on my end, it was like uh, the, the, we got a particular sort of offer, like somebody who was interested. Um, like a timing where like personally, I was sort of burnt out and stressed. And, um, and so it was just sort of like, oh, well, let's like explore this and see what happens. And then it's like one of those things where the further down the rabbit hole you get, like the less you're willing to sort of abandon the process. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, like, this is kind of annoying uh, that we have to get this particular bit of information, but you know, we're already this deep. We might as well keep going. So, okay. Yeah. So like that that makes sense. That goes. Yeah. So, so it was like, you know, you said you, you get like offers, which you know a lot of people do like monthly, probably more in your case, because of how transparent you are to buy your company. And it was just one of those situations, like right timing. You're like, okay, let's just see what happens type of thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, let's, okay. let's just see this out and see sort of yeah. what comes of it, you know? Got it. Okay. That, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, you know, did you, did you use like a broker or was it all like you indirectly with the, the buyer? Yeah, we use a broker. Yeah. Okay. After it was like, after that sort of got going, I was like, hey, okay, like I'm, I'm slightly out of my depth here, uh, at least like for this amount of money. So yeah, yeah. makes sense. Um, you know, and, and I know, uh, again, you're transparent about this, which definitely appreciate. And I can totally understand why you didn't tell your team about the acquisition, obviously, until uh, it fell through. But what was their reaction and overall sentiment in the company, like after they found out the news? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think after, you know, I've been like d- 
trying to go through the process for, I don't know, close to six months or something. Um, you know, I, uh, to the team, I don't think it was, I think it was, it was surprising in that like I had not mentioned anything to them, but it wasn't surprising. I think from the perspective of a number of people were like, Hey, you seemed really distracted anyways. So, um, I feel like the team had felt like something was up. Um, but I mean, after sort of talking about it, the, the response from them was sort of universally positive. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to ask, ask, ask next. Sorry. Um, you know, I can, you know, I can naturally, I can see employees being kind of uneasy after hearing the news, but, but you're saying overall, like revealing that it just sort of made your team like closer and more tight knit, would you say? Yeah. I, so like our, our culture anyways, I mean, so obviously we're publicly transparent, but we're even more so internally, um, transparent. So like, I don't, even talking about that kind of stuff isn't sort of this like weird, like, Oh my gosh, we are talking about like this company almost got sold. And like, like it's not like a weird thing for us to like talk about business and sort of the ups and downs of that stuff. Um, so I don't know. It, d- it didn't feel like weird for our company, like for us to talk about as a company. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. That's good. Um, so like in hindsight now that it's all like, you know, in the past, like, you know, are you glad you didn't end up selling? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy with where we're at now and, um, sort of excited about the stuff that we have in the works. Nice. Nice. Um, you know, sort of last question about this, like, you know, after you're just going through the entire process, uh, do you think you have more motivation now to grow the company to a certain point and sell it for a much higher valuation or are you not even thinking exit at this point? It's, it's not on my radar at the moment. I think like what, you know, every company that exists at some point either doesn't exist anymore or it changes hands. Like eventually I die, right? Like I won't always be running bare metrics for the rest of time, but I like, I don't know where or I don't have a, or I don't have a plan around like where that line is between like, Hey, we're building the company now and like what happens to the company at some point in the future. So like, that's not the motivating factor at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's like inevitable, like something's like going to happen. Every company eventually <laughs> change, either ceases to exist or changes hands or something like that's just, yeah, that's how it true. works. Yeah. Very true. Um, you know, you know, many listeners I'm sure like have, or are thinking of an exit in their companies, as you said, like at one point, like it's going to change hands. So, right. you know, it, 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 like asking you personally, like if your goal was to put the company back on the market in the near future and just going through this entire process and understanding what buyers are looking for, like what would be the main uh, metrics or set of metrics you would focus on that would increase the valuation? Yeah. So what, it, what, what most buyers are really interested in, I guess there's two, a couple of types of sale, sales here, but like the easiest sort of, most obvious metric is your growth rate specifically. Like obviously the amount of money you're making in a month is important, but most buyers are much more interested in the sort of trajectory of like where it's going in the next, you know, months or years. Um, so that's sort of a really basic level. Obviously if somebody's acquiring your company for what would, you know, sort of a strategic um, side of things or like they're, they're a, acquiring the technology behind something. That's a a totally different story, but you know, the typical company, you'll get the highest valuation based on your growth rate. It's like MRR growth rate, pretty much trajectory. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, you know, that's specific, that's the easiest way to sort of dumb it down. 
Okay, cool. Um, all right. You know, in regards to soul acquisition and how open and transparent you were with it, like, you know, I just want to thank you for continuing to put your journey and your story out there. Like, I think you provide a ton of real value and, and, and touch so many people in a real human way. And, you know, I think I can speak for a lot of people by saying, um, you know, you're really appreciated in the SaaS community and the business community as a whole. So uh, thanks, for, well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, but let's put that aside for now because, you know, I want to talk about some other stuff too. So uh, let, let's talk bare metrics. You said you founded the company six years ago. Yeah. Late 2013. Okay. Um, you know, a, a lot of people listening to the show are early stage founders. And a common question I get when speaking to those folks is about gaining traction and, and selling your product or service early on. So, so how did you gain traction for bare metrics um, at the beginning and get your earliest customers? Yeah. So a lot of that um, is a timing thing. So we, uh, the first, I mean, bunch of customers really probably came from me just talking about stuff on Twitter um, you know, it was like, I, I'm talking about or, or writing about, you know, this thing that the, the sort of problems that I'm trying to solve and, okay, let's build some software for that. And here's what that's looking like. And so it's like, you get a little bit of buzz that way. And then at the time, again, timing sort of a big deal here where in 2013, there just wasn't an easy way to get these sort of insights. Um, so the fact that there was something um, that was now easy or you like click a button to connect, you know, in this case, your Stripe account. Uh, and all of a sudden you get all these metrics that otherwise you were spending tons of time trying to do um, was a really big selling point. And um, it's sort of word of mouth spread pretty quickly um, on the front end there. But nice. that would be harder, much harder to do now because again, like metrics in and of themselves are kind of a commodity at this point. And a lot of platforms sort of have just base level metrics already. So you know, you couldn't do the same thing today, but yeah, I, I gave that. And I guess like the noise on social media and Twitter, maybe like the reach you had in 2013, uh, might've been different than it is now. Maybe. I mean, I, I certainly have a larger following than I did in 2013. Um, I did true. not, I did not have some huge number of people following me, but it was, you know, I, I was, I've been making stuff again, like on the web for a long time. So a lot of the people that do follow me on Twitter were people who would, happen to be customers of the product anyways yeah okay. so, so back you, you mentioned stripe stripe was around in 2013 they- yeah and like that's what when they were just sort, sort of starting to take off um okay. i think at the time um so i've had a pretty cr- close relationship with stripe and at the time like when i first launched bare metrics like stripe as a company i think was around 90 people i mean they're now like over a thousand people but you know at the time like that was they were really starting to, to take off um so that's I, like, again, the timing thing, like I was able to ride some of that initial wave uh, of Stripe becoming this really popular way to, to accept payment online. And um, so that worked out in my favor. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, know, you mentioned like you built like 20 for the past 20 years, like you've just been building stuff yeah. online. When you built Barometric, Barometrics, was your intent to like grow it to this company that it is now? Or, or was it just like another no. one of these side hobbies that... Yeah. Very much a side hobby kind of thing. Like, uh, I, I remember telling my, or my wife and I having this conversation where it was like, Hey, I'm going to build this thing. But like, the reality is in like a year, it, like, it's almost like I was diversifying sort of myself uh, as far as business goes. Like it was like another thing, like, it'll be fun to do for about a year. Then like, uh, inevitably 
Stripe built something internally or, or like I had not thought of it past a really simple, like one page dashboard of metrics. Um, and so it eventually like, you know, obviously expanded far outside of that. So, um, that was not my intention though. So at what point did you realize like you had something real and like more of your, your focus and energy had to be put towards it? Like how many customers like did you have? Right. I, I mean, so I think when I stopped doing everything else, um, we were probably doing, oh gosh, I don't know, close to 10,000 a month. Um, I mean, it was one of those things like I, I, when it started growing pretty quickly and much more quickly than anything I had done prior, it was sort of like, okay, well, like there's something here. Let's just go all in and see what happens. Um, and so that was probably, I don't know, maybe four to six months after I launched it. Nice. And at that point, it was just still all you. Mm. Or did you have other yeah, I, team I mean, members? Or? I, so that was, it was 100% me until, yes, until probably about that like $10,000 a month um, spot. And at that point, it was like, let me get some, um, some freelance like engineers on board because despite me, have, me having built the whole thing, like I'm not a great engineer. And uh, I, I was way in over my head. Uh, so I, started sort of outsourcing some of that stuff and then eventually started hiring. Nice. That's awesome. Um, you, you touched on like your personal brand, like Twitter following. So yeah, you, you've definitely developed a, like a great personal brand in, in the SaaS and just business community and beyond. Um, how, how impactful is your personal brand today in getting new customers? Cause I know I was back then obviously, but are you still yeah. finding it beneficial today? I'm, I guess, I don't know. We don't track that stuff specifically. Like it's, it's very hard to connect the dots between like, I tweeted something and we got a new customer. Uh, we don't really look at it that way. Um, certainly, I, you know, it plays some role, um, but it's not the kind of thing that I or anybody on the team sort of tries to optimize for. Um, so it's not, it's not, I guess the more simple way to say it would be, we don't, it's not part of like our growth plan. Uh, or, yeah. or, you know, any sort of strategy. Okay. Makes sense. So, you know, I, I guess like was building your personal brand, like then done by design or was it just one of these organic things? Like you were just putting no. out content and it was just resonating with people. Totally organic. I mean, for me, the, the web has always been like, I grew up on like AOL and like, uh, the web for me, was like, has always been sort of a community in and of itself. You know, I mean, I was like the, a kid in high school, like building websites and like always just trying stuff on uh, all these different platforms. And like, I, to me, like I view the web as a community. And so that's how I just sort of treat it anyways. Like I'm not, it's, I don't look at anything like Twitter, for instance, as a way to grow the business specifically. It's like, I look at Twitter as like this community that I'm a part of and, you know, I'll talk about business because that's something that I do, but it's not, it's not something that I like specifically focus on as a, a as a sort of growth channel. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, I had um, uh, Colin from Customer IO on on the show um, a little while back, and, and he yeah. had an interesting perspective on this. Like, he was at one point because same with him, like big Twitter following and, and personal brand, uh, and and he mentioned that he was debating on uh, like totally separating himself like his personal brand and the company because he didn't want the, the company to be like too reliant on like his brand for, for like right. the growth and stuff. Um, like what, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I feel the same way. Um, I would rather the growth of the company not like it's um, it's not scalable and it's um, it's like puts too much weight on a single person. Like there are certainly people who sign up for Barometrics because of me, um, and it's like there's they, it's almost like somebody signing up to because they want to use like this service that I've created or something like that. But it's like in reality, I'm pretty far removed from the sort of execution of the product at this point. Right. So it's like that part doesn't really make sense, but it looks like it does. And so, um, I would rather us, you know, for us to like really grow, like you're not going to grow based off of the personality of one person. Um, and I don't want sort of like that pressure. Anyways. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, you know, so, so, you know, you guys put out a lot of content and, and obviously, you know, provide a lot of value for people, but like, what would you say is your most successful growth channel that's working best for you today? Um, that's still hard. I still, I, I feel like we're still kind of poking around to find something that's repeatable. Um, I think probably content has been the thing that has sort of given us the, the longest term sort of consistent growth. Um, uh, past that, it's like lots of trial and error on things, but nothing that's really stuck. Yeah. Do you have, do you actually have a, like a content strategy where like you're posting like X amount of articles a week, a month, or is it just random? We don't have a strategy right now. We just, we're probably this week we'll hire somebody to head up all the content stuff. And, and so from that, we'll, um, you know, get some sort of system or okay. you know, something like that in place. Do you do any like paid advertising or paid marketing? We don't. No, not no. at all. And I guess like no outbound sales. So it's really just content and inbound. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Have you thought about like paid or doing outbound at all? Sure. It's expensive though. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the problem for us with um, paid acquisition is that we have very, uh, like the qualifiers are lengthy. So it's like, okay, so you have to be using one of the payment processors that we support. And then after that, you have to have it set up correctly as well. So it's not like, you, oh, I'd use Stripe or I use Braintree or whatever. It's like you have to have also integrated it a certain way, which inevitably people don't. So what you end up having is like the, the percentage of people who sign up who actually can use the service um, gets pretty small. And so it makes it very expensive to pay to acquire a customer. Um, Got it. because you just can't target like ads enough to make it worth it. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Um, so you guys are also fully remote, remote and uh, bootstrapped. Is, is that accurate? Remote, not, but we, so we raised 800,000 back in 2014. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But okay, we, like, okay. we got, we sort of got off that train uh, a couple of years ago and we almost ran out of money. So we sort of forced ourselves to get uh, profitable and so we, we just operate that way now. Okay, nice. When did you say you raised that round or that? We raised, we raised 500,000 in 2014. Uh, and then a year later raised another 300,000. Okay, nice. Um, and your team is, is pretty small as well. Like, you know, I, I think you're, are you still at eight people or nine people? We're 10 and about to hire 10? 11. Oh, okay. Perfect. Um, you know, me personally, I don't follow too many people on Twitter and when like you're one of them and, and when you put out so much content and information, like I feel like I already know so much about your company just like passively, yeah. but, uh, 
you know, you also like said, you, you know, you don't hire too often. Um, but when you do, like, what are some of the things you look for when hiring, especially remotely? Right. So for us, um, some of the, the biggest things that we look for, um, uh, in any kind of new team member, I mean, it, you know, obviously varies a little bit from role to role, but, um, we want people who, um, are sort of self-starters and don't need a lot of handholding. Um, it's one of the things where you can like sort of point the ship in the right direction and everybody sort of does their thing. Um, that's a big one. Um, people who are interested in uh, like, don't necessarily have to, like, we want people who are entrepreneurial, not, but they don't necessarily need to have started a business, but I mean, like at least have that mindset. Um, that's probably the biggest thing. And then like for practically from a remote perspective, having people who can write well, uh, is sort of a big deal. That's a big one for sure. Um, so you know, self-starters, you know, I, I totally agree with that one, especially being remote. Like how do you determine if someone is a self-starter? Like, can you test for something like that or is it more just intuition? Um, so there, we have a set of questions during the interview process, just about sort of, you know, what their hobbies are like hobbies, I think are a big reflection of, of that. So, you know, do you have hobbies that are outside of what your job would be and what are those hobbies? And a lot of times that, you know, if a hobby involves like creation, the creation of something, um, but that's a big indicator. Um, so, but you know, it's kind of, some of it's a gut thing. Yeah. Okay. Do you, are you still involved in, in the hiring process or? Yeah, I, I do. Um, all the hiring, you know, we've got some, depending on the role, we'll bring in somebody from like, if it's an engineering role, then we'll have a, a, them do a, an interview with the, another engineer, that kind of thing. Nice. But I, I still handle all the hiring. Okay. Um, and you, your team sort of spread around like continents or? Yeah. So we're, um, of the 10 that we've currently got, five of us are in the U.S. and five are in Europe. Of the five in Europe, they're in four different countries. Um, so we're across five countries kind of split 50 50 between um the united states and europe nice nice it, it, okay um I'm, I'm curious why like I'm, I'm assuming you take applications from like anywhere it just so happens like the the people the talented people that fit your culture just happen to be in the u.s and in europe yeah i yes we will uh, generally we'll take an application from anywhere um we've looked at higher like past Europe gets very difficult from a time zone perspective. Um, so, you know, like that's a, that's roughly a sort of six to eight hour time zone difference there. Um, so we get a little bit of overlap, um, which is helpful. We've, we've had applications from people in like Asia, but it, you know, when we're talking like a 12 hour time difference, um, most of those like wouldn't get through the interview process if only because it, we couldn't even schedule a, uh, you know, like a, a, a video chat, like it was, it was so much hassle to do that, that it just doesn't work for us at our current size. I think eventually I would like for us to be able to hire literally anywhere. Um, but we're still small enough where, uh, you know, I'd rather us have some amount of overlap if possible. Yeah. makes sense. And you so say your next hire, are you currently hiring for now? Like a content person? That's right. So we should have uh, that person hired within a week. Okay. Um, I'm curious, do, do you find like any particular job site, the most effective that's your go-to? Um, probably most consistent is we work remotely. 
Um, that's probably, yeah, as far as yeah. quality same. of job applicant. Yeah, same. That, that one, for, even for us, seems to work the best. Um, you know, my company as well, like we're fully remote, but, you know, I feel like we have a very um, tight and, and close-knit bond amongst each other, which is great. Like, how does Barometrics maintain that cohesiveness amongst the team and, and just ensure everyone is on the same page and, and marching towards the same mission? Yeah, I... Um... I don't know. It's hard to sort of qualify into that stuff. I mean, it's, um, I think it's lots of the sort of smaller interactions in a, throughout a given week. Um, you know, making sure we, we pair people up to have, um, video chats with one another every couple of weeks. I do one-on-ones. We'll do sort of full team video chats, um, team retreats, like that kind of stuff. I think it's sort of like the sum of all those parts that sort of makes it happen. Do you have a structure with your one-on-ones or is it just sporadic and random or like once a month or uh, structure in that we, I do them every three to four weeks. Um, but the, the, the one-on-one itself, um, is the agenda for those is mostly left up to the, um, to whoever it is that I'm having. Have you ever lost a potential customer because you weren't connected to that one random platform It's definitely happened to me. I recently came across a company called Data Automation. These folks are a must-have partner for a SaaS company. Instead of saying no and losing that potential customer due to a missing integration, you should reach out to the team at Data Automation. They're absolute whizzes in integrations and automations. They're Zapier certified app developers and very, very reasonably priced as well. Uh, Check them out at dataautomation.com. That's dataautomation.com. Tell them Costa from FounderView sent you and they'll definitely take care of you. Okay. You know, for, for me personally, one of my um, things that I'm doing differently this year is doing more one-on-ones. Like that's one thing I feel like I lacked on. And already in the first month, I just see so much value in doing that. I can, I can yep. only imagine just being consistent with that and what's that can, what that's going to do to just the overall, uh, you know, motivation and, and just cohesiveness with everyone. So I think that's huge for sure. Um, you, you mentioned, so pairing people up, like, like how do you pair people up like with their managers or... No, well, no. So we just—it can be anybody in the company gets paired up. Um, we like, we use a Slack plugin that just automatically oh. does it. So that's interesting. Just so like people can get to know each other from like right. So it'll it'll pair them up and be like and give them a set of you know sort of I would say like conversation starter kind of questions, um, and then they you know hop on a 10, 15 minute video chat and uh, yeah, oh, it helps them get to know interesting. Each other. Can you share that app or? Yeah, it's called uh, Donuts, I think. Donuts? Or Donuts. It's a Slack, Slack plugin? Let's see what it is. I think it's, it's at donut.com. Yeah, That's interesting. I would, okay, cool. They got them a good domain on that one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and, uh, and for the full team video chats, is that like every quarter or month or... Well, so it's actually weekly, um, oh, wow. though we actually this week decided, like, let's test not doing them weekly because we were doing um, them as sort of a, like, we were treating it like a, like a weekly stand-up. But the reality is, like, we work completely remotely and the, there was no real benefit to, like, people saying what they're working on. Um, 
was purely a social thing. So we're, we're testing not doing them. Nice. Okay. Um, you mentioned team retreat. So just the other week or two ago on Twitter, you shared a bunch of your expenses for 2019 and, uh, the retreat, which I was, I was surprised by, and we had a little interaction on Twitter. It was $15,000 for your retreat. And I was surprised because of, of how low that number was. I just always yep. assumed it would be a lot higher. So for my own curiosity, like how was that 15,000 used? Uh, most of that's flying people in, um, so, you know, we're five different countries. It, uh, that adds up, um, that, and then lodging basically, um, you know, I think food, things like that's relatively inexpensive, but, um, sort of travel and, and, and lodging is probably the travel. most, the biggest part. Does, does everyone stay in the same like house or do you rent that? Yeah. So or? in our size, we can, we can get just a really big house. Um, and everybody can have their own room and all that stuff. So, I mean, you need a pretty big house for, uh, you know, I, I th- this last one, I think there were eight of us. So that was eight rooms, but I mean, you know, the house was, it was a pretty big house. So yeah. Do, do significant others, wives, husbands come we, along? As no, well? we don't do that. I've heard of like companies like Buffered, they'll, you know, sometimes they'll have significant others or even like the whole family. Um, but we don't do that at this point. I guess that's when the number really explodes. Well, sure. You can end up almost <laughs> doubling the number of people you yeah. got to fly out. Yeah. Maybe you need two houses now instead of one or like a giant yeah. one. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Um, you, you know, I asked this question to everyone and I know it's a hard one to answer for most CEOs, but w- what does a typical day look like for you at Bear Metrics? Like, do you gravitate towards a, like a certain department or tasks or what does that look like? I, I spend most of my time on sort of product I would say like product management kind of stuff, like figuring out what needs to happen with the product. Um, this is what my brain sort of naturally goes to. Um, but then also sort of the processes around building the company and figuring out like, okay, like what can we adjust with compensation? How can we make that more fair? What about benefits? And I mean, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And how do you like, where do you find the time to work on, like all these side projects that you're working on? Uh, I don't, I mean, I just do it. I don't know. Like it's, uh, I, I don't necessarily follow a specific schedule of um, like, okay, I'm going to work on their metrics for this amount of time or anything. It's, yeah. you know, I, I have sort of have the freedom to work on whatever I want. You know, I, I, I love that. You know, I guess it's one of those things that, you know, if you, if you really want to do something like you'll just make the time or find the time to do it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so that's cool. Um, do you have any favorite tools or apps that you you personally use your company uses to stay productive and efficient that you want to share? Um, I don't, there's nothing that we'd love, like, no, uh, you know, we've got some different tools that we use that are sort of agnostic on the process and we sort of try to make, them into you know have our own process for that kind of stuff but really honestly at this point it's like it's a constant sort of like figuring out how to do this and we have to yeah um what crm do you guys use or is that just an, something internal we don't use any kind of crm so you, did you build like an internal solution to manage your, your contacts or is it all through like bare metrics i i mean we don't have a sales process so there's not really a like a, a need to keep track of a bunch of contacts. 
Got it. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Um, all right, Josh, I do want to be mindful of your time. I do end off each chat with what I call the founders three. You ready? Okay. Ready. All right. Number one, your favorite business book. Um, the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. War of art. Okay. Cool. I don't think I've heard of that one. Check that one out. Uh, number two, your favorite vacation spot. Um, anywhere in the mountains. In the mountain. And you're, you're currently in Alabama, is it? I am. Yeah. Okay, cool. Any favorite mountains? Um, the Rocky mountains. Cool. And, um, if you can go back, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you were just starting out in business? Um, um, ah, so maybe, um, learn to enjoy sort of the, the, the process and not so much constantly looking for like the destination, I guess, or like, it's, I guess in, from a cliche perspective, like enjoy yeah. the journey and not the destination that you're, you know, focus on. So it's yeah. so true. Yeah. You know, I was, I was having this conversation with someone in the past and, you know, when, when you sort of take a step back and reflect on everything, like all the fun stories are like in the journey, you know, when you're right. just like going some, you know, that's, that's so true. Um, all right, Josh, you know, thank you so much yet again for, for your openness, honesty, and transparency. You know, you, you know your, your work and insights are, are touching so many people in a positive way. And I would like to personally thank you for continuing to share your journey because I know your insights have definitely helped me along the way. So I wish you continued success, good health, and happiness. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to jump on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.